Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today is episode 200 of The Rewind, so we're here to talk about a very special movie that is Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and I have two guests joining me today. One of them is Rooster Movie Correspondent Josh Brown. Josh, what's going on? Hey, doing well, ready to inject some symbiotes into this podcast. <laughs> and also joining to, oh, I guess both of them, both of you guys are talking about a superhero movie on the podcast for the first time, and that is Ben Lubin. Ben, thanks for joining as well. Hey, uh, guys, I think I'm a little lost. I was looking for this A24 screening. Uh, <laughs> I, I just ended up here. <laughs> is this, uh, is Eastwood Carnage in this one? <laughs> <laughs> certainly a little uh, a little different genre than what we were used to having uh, Ben talk about with us um, but uh, Venom uh, Let There Be Carnage is uh, the sequel to 2018's Venom uh, this one is directed by Andy Serkis with the screenplay from Kelly Marcel also with a story credit though from Tom Hardy himself who is a producer on the movie and uh, as you all know plays Eddie Brock and voices uh, uh, the symbiote Venom uh, but this movie starts in 1996 where a young boy named Cletus Cassidy who sounds suspiciously like Woody Harrelson uh, watches helplessly watches as the love of his life uh, Francis Barrison is uh, taken from a hospital for unwanted children uh, she uses her sonic scream powers to escape and attacks a young police officer in the process who shoots her in the eye uh, he suffers an injury to his ear and unbeknownst to him though uh, Barrison is uh, still uh, kind of out there but uh, in present day where we, we come back and we see our Eddie Brock, who uh, has been contacted by Cassidy to uh, speak to him because he wants to, I don't know, give an interview. And Eddie's been down on his luck as a journalist since the events of the first movie. And through the contents that he that this interview that he does with Cassidy, uh, Venom is able to help Eddie decipher where Cassidy hid a bunch of the bodies that he uh, from the from his murder victims Uh, gives him a big career boost and makes the case against Cassidy uh, that much stronger and is puts him on death row. He ends up like, you know, inviting Brock back to talk to him before he's sentenced to death. In doing so, he angers Venom and approaches who approaches the cage and through a the, the contact they have there, it you know, infects Cassidy. And at the time of his execution uh, by lethal injection, he he all of a sudden his symbiote carnage is unleashed and kills everyone in attendance and lets out all the prisoners. And understandably, Cassidy wants to then kill Eddie to get back for, you know, uh, sentencing him to for life in prison. And uh, for reasons that I don't know, I'm not don't really know are that important. Uh, Carnage wants to kill Venom. Uh, so uh, we'll we'll get into all that. But I, I want I want to take a step back for the And also, I, I should I should mention the most important thing about this movie earlier in the movie. Eddie is uh, summoned to a dinner by his uh, ex fiance and played by the great Michelle Williams, who I just love is in this movie. And uh, he learns that she is getting engaged to uh, her doctor boyfriend. We met in the first movie. Who, his name is Dan. He is played by Reed Scott, who plays Dan on Veep. Just to, you know, my one of my other favorite wrinkles about these movies. That just the, the Dan of it all just kind of dawned on me. But <laughs> oh, you, you didn't you didn't notice that when you watched the first I, Venom? I didn't see the first Venom. Oh, that's 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 interesting. Oh, you're going it blind. Yeah. You're, like here's the thing: I saw the first Venom, and like I don't remember anything of the plot except maybe he had like some relationship with michelle williams and and there's lobster with like i don't remember jack shit from that garbage movie like it was terrible very low expectations going into this one um i, I think and- it helped maybe that i wasn't carrying any of the baggage from the first with me <laughs> well okay so you guys are both i mean i I think I liked, I I didn't, I mean, I gave the first one two and a half stars. I wasn't like a huge fan, but I kind of, I saw some redeeming qualities in it. So I think we're all coming at this from very different places. So I I guess I'll, I guess I'll ask, uh, I guess I'll ask Josh first then. So you really didn't like that movie. And 
to spoil it for everyone, you really did like this one. Why do you think this one works in whereas the other one didn't or in so much as you can say, given that you don't seem to really remember the first one? So this one works because this time around, everybody involved is in on the joke. The first movie, like famously, like Tom Hardy was doing a press like interview and he was saying that his inspiration for the character of Eddie Brock was Woody Allen. Um, and so you could see glimmers of that in, in the first one, but it's undermined by like a film that seems like it's from 2007 um, and like, it's just like a incompatible superhero movie with the tone that Tom Hardy's trying to inject on it. And in this one, it's a lot more goofier and it's just basically the odd couple, uh, but just starring Venom and, and Carnage and it's hilarious. Yeah. Ben, I got to know what got you in the door because you see a lot of movies, but you'll also just like, you'll just not see some stuff that's kind of popular. If it's just something that like, you know, something might not be a priority for you, even if it's a thing that a lot of other people are seeing, you're, you're fairly intentional with your time. And every now and then you'll just like kind of drop that you didn't see a movie that was really popular from two years ago that a lot of people like to talk about. I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Ben never saw that. So what gets you in the door to see Venom? Let there be carnage. If you didn't even bother seeing the first Venom. So there are two things. Uh, Number one, I, so this is something I don't get a chance to talk about in the podcast much. I am a bigger comic nerd than most people you will ever meet. Like, mm-hmm. I literally learned how to read through comics. I am vocally obsessed with just comics, like the comic form. I love me some superhero shit too. But yeah, I really love comics. So that's part of it. But the other part of it in this particular case. So I have AMC A-list. And I don't always have a chance to use it very much just because like a lot of the stuff that I tend to like to see doesn't play at AMC. So I feel like, look, if I'm going to get the most out of my investment here, I'm going to try to cost them a little bit of money. So every so often, like I'll pick something that's playing like a Dolby, like on their Dolby screen. Yeah. If you go, if you go to a Dolby Los Angeles screening, that's going to get your entire month's worth of AMC. uh, Yeah. It's literally like $22. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm but not if you have AMC A-list. Yeah. But yeah, so I will, I'll, I'll go see something on like the Dolby screen just to kind of, you know, feel like I'm spending my money wisely, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and I had heard some like halfway decent stuff about Venom 2, surprisingly. And I also heard that Little Sims was in it and I really like Little Sims. So figured, fuck it, why not? Um, so that's what got me in the door. And again, spoilers for how I feel about the movie. The thing that I messaged just about everyone I talked to about it after I saw, every single person involved with the making of this movie knew exactly what movie they were making. And that goes back to Josh's point that they like that everyone was in on the joke. First off, I just thought it was a ton of fun. It is the best comic book movie of 2021 so far. It's a crazy statement, but I'll... That's a uh, correct no, statement. he's right. He's, he's right. <laughs> Why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> hey, also, we competition. We competition. I mean, yeah. Again, I thought Suicide Squad was fun, but... Yeah, yeah. I'm like, higher on it than him, but... Yeah, this I, 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 like, I legitimately... I mean, again, I am not saying Venom 2 is a great movie. It's not. It's... Get four stars. It's a, here's the thing. It's a complete mess. Like, structurally... Uh, it, it, it's just it, it's a complete mess but despite that it's just so much fun and I, I think Josh we were talking about it and you described it as a postmodern superhero movie 
like a superhero movie that is made kind of with awareness of the genre and almost kind of existing outside of it. And I think that part of what is so fun about this movie is the way it, it zigs where you kind of expect it to zag, but not in a way that's really like calling attention to itself. Like it's, this is not a Deadpool that is trying to kind of just kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, look at what we're doing. That's not what you would expect in a typical superhero movie. It just, it's, it's, it's not kind of trying to draw your attention to that. It is just making choices that are counter to what you would expect because they are what happen to fit with the tone of the movie, the energy of the movie and the characters. Uh, it is a character first superhero movie in a way that you barely even need a action movie plot for. Like yeah. I would watch these, I would watch just Eddie and Venom shopping for furniture. Yeah. <laughs> like the movie slows down when you get to like their action set pieces against like carnage and stuff, which some of it's actually kind of cool because the special effects like actually looks nifty, you know? It's just, it is like, it's, it's video game cutscene level special effects, <laughs> but I will admit there are parts of it where again, as sloppy and cheap looking as they were, there is some fun and imagination to it that I would put above, you know, the last third of Shang-Chi. What was your, what was your, uh, what were y'all's reactions when the credits come up and you see cinematographer Robert Richardson? See, this is, that was the whole thing. When I'm watching this movie, I know Robert Richardson, he replaced Matthew Labatique. Le, Le yeah. And I'm like, how the fuck, like the Venom <laughs> franchise is A, like we're recruiting these two cinematographers who have done esteemed work and B, it looks like some of the worst things that they have ever shot, but also this movie's a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> like at the same time, like it, 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 this movie is terribly shot, but also fun as hell. Uh, but like to jumping off of uh, Ben's point, like when I was watching this movie, I was like, it feels like a fucking prank, like a 97 minute prank that Tom Hardy is like pulling on all of us. Um, and also, you know, I think, another way this movie succeeds where the first one doesn't is that Andy Serkis being at the helm of it I think like you know a lot of people have compared like motion capture motion capture acting to like experimental theater and I think since you know uh Serkis with his background in motion capture I think he's letting Hardy have a lot of fun you know back going back and forth with the uh, Eddie and Venom and as an acting exercise, I feel like Hardy's just jazzed by this. And especially just like another thing that like it, it, where it falls in the postmodern superhero uh, mold, it does not give a fuck. Like I'm not a comic book expert by any means. I'm not Ben Lubin, but it does not give a fuck about adhering to any reverence to the comic oh, book. Oh, it does. And I loved it. I, I love that. Yeah. Like one yeah, of the things... With, sorry. Yeah, and to do it with Venom of all characters, like this beloved cult character venom is not a good character okay can i like can i just go on a really quick rant about that because like please okay venom is one of the most overrated characters in comics just because he is like he is such a product of this very nearly kind of edgelord era like when venom really quote unquote became venom it was on the verge of like he he, he was a product of the 80s but he really kind of became big in the 90s which was when comics got like real especially marvel comics got real kind of quote unquote edgy and very much about just kind of 
cool designs that were meant to just kind of sell action figures and be more awesome, awesome than they were interesting. Carnage is that taken to 11. Venom at least has like some history with like other characters and has some like runs that have been fairly well done. Like there's a, a recent Venom run in the, actually the most recent Venom run in the comics is the best Eddie Brock run probably ever. But Carnage is a character who has never been interesting and has always, to me, been the embodiment of the worst of 90s excess. Um, so as much as like I, I am kind of a huge comic fan, uh, I had absolutely no, like, I didn't even want them to kind of try to like stick to the comics too much. So would you say the stuff the movie does best is like, some of the stuff that deviates the most, I guess, because, you know, I, I kind of agreed with what you were saying earlier when you were saying you would have watched them like shopping for furniture and yeah. that my, my thing with the first movie, which I know you didn't see, was that like it spends like half the movie even getting to the point where they have that rapport. Like it just takes it's, it just takes way too long doing it. I'm pretty sure it's I don't have the runtime in front of me, but like, I mean, God bless this runtime. Uh, but like, yeah, in that beautiful. Point, 97 yeah. minutes. Yeah, Look, I'm, I am not someone who says it's like, oh, movies have to be short. Like I won't watch a long movie. Mm -hmm. But this was tight in a way that I think a lot of modern comic book movies like. Aren't, yeah, there is no reason. I'm not going to pick on Shang-Chi too much. There is no reason Shang-Chi had to be as long as it was. Like, yeah, it, like was it was overstuffed and like in a way that didn't actually add to the movie. Yeah, like this movie, like it doesn't overstay its welcome and probably doesn't even have that many set pieces, at least compared to your typical superhero movie. But like it, it you know, again, it emphasizes like that dynamic between Eddie and Venom in this very comedic way where like kind of like a comedy, it's 90 minutes. Like yeah. it, 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 it's out, boom, you know, um, despite the fact that the movie is messy, like it's tight, but messy at the same time. Many contradictions. It's like Eddie Brock himself. He's Venom. He's Synergy. Eddie Brock. Um, actually, one thing I kind of wanted to add on to, to a point that Josh made. There are like all four of like the main cast of the movie are like Oscar nominated actors, <laughs> which is like it's, it's really fun if you think about it. Michelle Williams, like her best moment. No, is this is, it is the most fun any of these people have had in so long, just so clearly. Michelle Williams, like the honestly, like the funniest moment in the movie to me is the Michelle Williams Venom conversation at like the convenience store. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's so weird. And again, it's like she commits to it so much, which is what makes it work. Yeah. Um, you're basically letting these incredibly talented actors honestly just have fun and let loose a little bit and it gives the movie just this charm that it like really just kind of sells it as, as the really just kind of pleasant experience that it is like I, one of the things I have thought about is like as I do work production this must have been a legitimately really fun set to be on because it just feels like the energy there must have been so just kind of playful yeah, even more yeah, so than yeah. the first one, because in the first one, like, there's like, honestly, I love the guy, but like, maybe like the worst performance I've ever seen Riz Ahmed give, and he plays the villain, and the guy takes himself like way too seriously, and it just doesn't, just doesn't work, and like, and, and it's like the one thing that doesn't work in the second half of that movie, because the second half of that movie finally gets to the, to the Venom Eddie Brock stuff, and not, not, not to say that Riz Ahmed himself would be responsible for not being as like, as fun of a set, but I think the tone of this movie, like, is just 
much more on point with respect to like what Woody Harrelson is bringing as Carnage slash Cassidy. And it's like way out there in a way that I think like works better. And is on, is, is just like on the right wavelength for the way the, the level of goofiness that like Tom Hardy was going for. Whereas like, I just don't think that's what all those priorities did not line up in the first movie. The villain yeah, is like, Woody Harrelson, hot wiring cars in a bad wig and eating brands. Like, yeah, yeah. I was about to say like Woody Harrelson's like role is complete camp. Like, you know, it's camp with the wig itself. Yeah. Um, but, and, and again, he knows what, like, he knows what this role is. Everyone involved, like the costume design. It's like, there was just an awareness of what this character is supposed to be and what this movie is supposed to be that like, I just respected. Yeah. Like I, I'm always going to be more forgiving to a movie that is not kind of delusional about what it's trying to be. Um, like, again, this is not, like, there was no attempt to make great groundbreaking art here, which means I'm not necessarily judging it for not being that. Like, I just le- did not expect to have as much fun with the movie as I did. It, it, Neither- it legitimately surprised me. Yeah, neither did I. I didn't I didn't expect that I was paying like, you know, well, I had the A-list pass as well. I didn't expect that like when I got the ticket that I was really watching a Neil Simon play like masquerading yeah. as a superhero movie. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, what I was listening to an interview with like Circus and Circus was talking about how like COVID like gave them more time to work on the effects, but also um, some of like the weird tidbits was like, he he didn't meet the composer of the film Marco Beltrami like because it was like during COVID and they were doing produ- uh, post production um, satellite um, so maybe COVID also like helped this movie like either shave off its runtime in terms of like maybe they didn't shoot enough or it made this gave them enough time to make this movie tighter but whatever it is I wish like more comic book movies were like this because I heard like someone kind of describe it as you know it's actually probably more authentically true to comic books than the other uh superhero movies that are out there yeah no and that's actually a, a good point like one of the things that kind of bugs me about the trend of kind of a lot of co- modern comic book movies is they kind of represent a limited idea of what comics are like yes comics can be these like big like epic uh, end game infinity war kind of all superheroes coming together big like flashy arc against this like major villain but one of the things i've always loved about comics and this is true about superhero comics too comics can be anything they're because especially because the cost of entry is so minimal compared to something like film like to do something really wild and stylized and out there with film you need a budget, you need like individual like craftsmen to kind of handle every little aspect of just executing the details of it. With comics, the only limits are the imagination of the writer and artist. And so basically comics can be anything. And even in terms of superhero comics, like read uh, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum, which is kind of like the go-to example of superhero comics as strange psychedelic introspective mind-blowing art there's room for that there's room for something like in infinity gauntlet there's room for like character focused almost soap opera melodrama level like spider-man type stuff 
There's room for the weird and the wacky and the pulpy and the strange and the imaginative. There's room for everything. Yes, that's what I was going to ask. Like, I guess I'll ask Josh then because I bet you would agree with this. But one thing I really liked about this movie was the stakes. Not to say that if Carnage survives, he's going to like, you know, uh, just kind of go on and live a peaceful life at home with uh, 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 with his lady friend. But, you know, it's 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 kind of nice when when at the end it is very focused on specific characters as opposed to saving the entire world. Was that something you were thinking about, Josh, as you watch this as someone that maybe isn't the biggest fan of a lot of Marvel movies that do have those stakes? Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my biggest problems with the Marvel movies is that the stakes as the stakes keep getting higher and higher my interest like it starts waning especially when you get to like end game and infinity war where it's like wait you're saving the why is this time saving the world different than like the last time you saved the world but um yeah i like the very low stakes to me the stakes were a lot more emotional in terms of you know what the movie has to say about the codependency of the relationship between eddie and venom and you know i was much more interested you know like i didn't really like you know, Carnage is kind of fun here or there, but I didn't really care too much about Carnage. I cared more about, you know, how Eddie feels about um, Michelle Williams going off with Dan. <laughs> um, and also, thing that I like, they don't get back, like, get back together, you know, like, and Dan is actually a useful, you know, um, ex. I mean, depend, depend, Venom may disagree with you on that. <laughs> but yeah, but, but the true love story of the yeah. movie isn't, it's not Eddie and Anne, it's Eddie and Venom, right? So well, yeah. arguably, it's more of a throuple. Which is <laughs> Which, part yeah. of it, like, because again, and this is one of the cool things about the dynamic. Again, it doesn't like. I think the really flat and uninteresting thing to do would say, "Oh, the the real relationship is it's it's Eddie and Venom, and they were perfect for each other all along." But because this is a fantastic premise, it lets you kind of go a step further, and like the central relationship between Eddie and Venom is clearly the central relationship of the movie, but. Eddie has feelings for Anne. Venom is very on board with that. And it's less kind of, oh, but what if Venom was Eddie's boyfriend? It's what if Venom was Eddie's like fantasy, strange alien parasite boyfriend whose ideas of love and relationships would obviously be different than kind of the humans. Like it's it's weirder and more interesting than kind of to go than, than going with a really flat choice. And I do think the movie like manages to have its cake and eat it too. Like there is very clearly an acknowledgement of the central queerness of the relationship. Oh, and um, how you, by the way, how you describe it and also the body horror of it all is like, are you t- describing let them, be, let them Be Carnage as the dead ringers of, <laughs> um, of the Marvel cinematic, well, it's not MCU, but you get what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, a movie I still need to see actually. Oh, you, I, st- you haven't no, seen No, no, I love, I love Cronenberg, but that's yeah. kind of like the one major one that I haven't seen yet. That's my favorite one of this. I've, I've heard really great things. And yeah. it's just, again, I live in LA. It'll screen in theaters eventually. So, yeah, that was a great one. But yeah, and that's the other thing too I like about this uh, movie. It's like, I, you know, I, I, because like earlier Ben was saying that it's probably not that deep, but I could probably, I'm sure there's probably, and I'm not the one to do it, but like maybe there's like a trans like metaphor in here. Maybe there's a body dysmorphia thing like that you could like project onto this film and it kind of working like oh no but, they're ab- absolutely um yeah. no i didn't mean to suggest that it's like just an empty pulpy like good time and that's all there is yeah but on and again i think i am more willing to again accept those readings of the movie mm-hmm. because it is not trying too hard to be exactly this is the metaphor yeah like it, it's not it lets it's not- those 
it lets those dynamics arise from the characters. It's not going for like the Snyder uh, grandiose like political allegory or something like that, you know. Um, and and I, which is not yeah. to say that like comic book movies or superhero movies should not be political. That is the exact opposite of what I'm saying. It's just they often kind of fail because uh, they fail at the metaphor that they're trying to do because of almost like I guess like the corporate constraints of trying to make this yeah. mass appealing thing. Um, um, and then like, but Venom, I'm just kind of shocked by you know, the idea that this movie even gets released because it's like, like, how did a studio executive just not look at this and not think, are they being punked? Because <laughs> the first one, the punk. first one made a shit ton of money. <laughs> and so they just decided, let's give all the power to Tom Hardy. <laughs> okay, that's clearly like what's happening. Like they, they basically just let everyone involved get super weird with it. Like as long as it's working, hey. And, you know, and what might like, are we allowed to spoil the post credit scene, Josh? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that definitely at the end. I mean, like pe- people, no one's gonna like listen to all this without having watched that. I would think okay. so. I don't. You can talk about it whenever you want, but I want to I want to I want to make one more point about the 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 the, uh, the final fight scene though before I get there because I mean like I think we all kind of mentioned the CGI was like a little all over the place, kind of interesting though maybe not like the best you'd ever seen. But uh, I, I think the, the ending worked for me less so because of how it looked, but more so because of how it actually like brought together like whatever actual kind of story there is to this movie and. We, you, you just made the comment about the throuple and I, I i do think that's part of the appeal of these movies it's like just how convincing and how much michelle williams sells that like she actually like has some level of care for venom and like and whatever chemistry she actually has with him i, I mean it's just my favorite part of these movies but like i think well i thought it was actually kind of cool at the end like the way it was resolved in that like like carnage and cassidy like don't actually like each other and i thought that was actually like a really like interesting little twist on you know, often we kind of just have like CGI fests at the end of these things that don't really have any thought put into them. But like, it was actually, I thought like a little clever twist that like Carnage is clearly actually like legitimately way more powerful than Venom in a vacuum. Um, and like it can do far more different. I mean, he can download the entire internet if he so chooses to do so, apparently. Which uh, I he- laughed so hard. <laughs> that. that was some hackers level <laughs> shit right there. <laughs> he, can, he can do all that. And on top of like, you know, like having endless limbs and all this strength. But like the fact is, like, if he doesn't have the right symbiote host relationship, like it's not going to work. And I think the movie, like for all its like ridiculousness, it actually put in the work to let you know that like Venom and Eddie do have like some kind of connection that's like a lot more, that is actually like, meaningful enough that like you're gonna buy it beyond whatever carnage and cassidy have and like that i because I, I spent this whole movie like thinking like well how the hell is like they're gonna are they gonna actually be carnage like he's so damn like powerful and i actually kind of thought it was pretty smart how they like resolve that and i just that's what i wanted to shout out beyond like how it looked which i think what i think a lot of people might dwell on yeah no i thought that's a good point that like you know the action goes along with the thematics of the movie with this you know movie about a codependent relationship but also about a beautiful relation a friendship that one has with their symbiote you know um but like i gotta ask like because we mentioned about the end credit scene mm-hmm. like that's the thing after watching this i feel like they're almost jeopardizing the gem that they have on display here because like you know the end credits like tease that uh, it's gonna join uh the multi-universe with uh, uh tom hardy spider-man and i'm just like don't do that to venom like i can't even see how this this character is even compatible to the world that they even built in Spider-Man, despite the fact that Eddie Brock and Venom is, you know, a classic Spider-Man villain. Yeah, well, ben, yeah. Ben, ben, I was, I was going to say, Ben, as a big comics guy, did you have a strong reaction to that choice they're clearly making at the end? So I actually, I agree with Josh about 
really not wanting to see the MCU take on Tom Hardy's Venom. It's special. It's it, it's. But what what I would be somewhat interested in is seeing the the Venom versus take. Like, what happens when you bring just Tom like uh, Tom Holland into that, <laughs> and like try to try to put him in the same like energy wavelength as these characters? Like that to me would be more interesting. Without getting okay. too in, without getting all oh, I was gonna say without getting too inside baseball, there's obviously like a lot of creative business dealings yeah. that um, Disney and Sony had to do to get Spider-Man into the MCU movies. Though I would assume there was like a way they could like strike a deal, especially with all this multiverse crap they're doing. It really doesn't like it really wouldn't be too hard to sell story wise to like you know do both if they really wanted to do both. Though I I would kind of agree I'd I'd have a little bit more confidence in like uh it actually like making sense tonally to throw Tom Holland into these movies than to throw Venom into those movies. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, uh, the, the thing I was saying before, though, is this movie, like both of these movies, and specifically this one has done well enough that, again, I think that it, it is very likely that they give like Hardy and Circus and whoever is kind of working on Venom 3 enough leeway to make the movie that ideally they want to make because, like, again, this one worked and them getting weird with it worked. So, there's no huge reason to rock the boat. And so my hope is, again, at this point, Sony maybe has some faith in Venom. Because again, it's like, I did not expect to be saying this uh, before seeing Venom 2, but I'm actually looking forward to Venom 3. Who, who, way, who possibly would have thought that? <laughs> yeah, but same. And like, by the way, like instead, you know, now like you'd mentioned like Tom Hardy entering the Venomverse, actually, I'd be more intrigued seeing Alfred Molina, William Dafoe getting weird with it. Ooh, with okay. Hardy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bring in Thomas Hayden Church. Okay. If, if they're crossing over with like with uh, Sam Raimi's Spider Man, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> which, by the way, this is the thing that blows my mind. Like, not a comic book fan at all, you know. Um, uh, but it's just wild to me. I'm like, why the fuck is Venom set in San Francisco when like Eddie Brock is a New York reporter? Like, well, like that actually is like a comics appropriate. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so basically, to, to to spoil decades old comics, like mm-hmm. after kind of Venom went off on his own and kind of tried to become like a vigilante hero, mm-hmm. uh, they moved him out to San Francisco. Part of that is like every so often Marvel will remember, oh, wait, literally all of our characters are, ba- are based in New York and there are other parts of the country. So let's mm-hmm. try to at least like spread the love to make like the rest of this like world feel fleshed out. And kind of try to build up heroes in Los Angeles or Chicago or Louisiana or San Francisco. Man, I want so the boys the, the superhero. So there was actually uh, this thing called the 50 States Initiative, where <laughs> they basically tried to introduce the like the superhero team of every state. God, I don't want to know what the Florida one is. I don't. Uh, the florida anti-vaxxers no (laughs) no i'm picturing like an alligator bath salts like out of his mouth like again i I don't remember like most of these teams appeared in like one panel and that was it um so i can't tell you what the florida team was but a lot of them were like so like i remember the the like the the massachusetts team it was either the massachusetts team or like the the pennsylvania team were like patriot themed like they all of them were like way too just kind of like founding fathers like uh like revolutionary war like chic-esque like that that was like the design for all those characters it was like that level of imagination so so like is there like a john adams superhero that goes pak the car the harvard yard 
the, I mean, they were trying, who knows, they were maybe trying to cast Ben Affleck in the movie version of that. So it <laughs> would have yeah. been some smart branding. Now but, I'm imagining like John Adams with like a cape and carrying some Dunkin' Donuts. Ben and I already did the Face the Music podcast last year. Sorry, you, you, you weren't invited. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, but know, so just they, they, they did move like the, the lethal protectors thing that they kept like bringing up in the movie. That was from a run in the comics called, I think it was Venom Lethal Protector, where they basically moved Eddie Brock out to San Francisco and made him like the vigilante hero of the Bay Area. So it is like appropriate at least to make, to to kind of set the movie and set the character's existence in that city. So this might be a dumb question. I'm just someone that really doesn't know the comics at all. The way up until like... Leading up to the release of the 2018 movie, people talk about Venom like he was like a quote unquote Spider Man villain. Is that not inaccurate? Um, or is he, is he just kind of vacillate between like how, where he is as to like if he is like a good guy or bad guy throughout it's, different comics? Yeah. I mean, it's he's gotten so basically a, a big thing that happened in the 90s because like edgelord shit, whatever, anti heroes got really big. Hmm. So there was kind of this, a lot of kind of like villains got like their own run became like kind of uh, vacillate between bad good anti-heroes just because they were the characters who were selling toys they were the characters who again like the image basically like the the image boom artists were like really excited about working with um so a lot of anti-heroes ended up becoming just good enough to headline their own titles and they started kind of moving a lot of them more towards the light side of the force. Um, and so Venom was pretty explicitly a villain starting out and was a villain for a while. Up, like was mostly a villain up until the early 90s. And then I would say he started like skewing much more towards like being just kind of a, a anti-hero like foil to Spider-Man more than anything else. Then at some points, I guess when they decided to kind of, they wanted Ben to be a villain again, they would take him away from Eddie Brock and give him to other characters. And, but yeah, so I, I would say at this point, and really for like a while, Venom has been more of a Spider-Man side character than a Spider-Man villain, but he was definitely a villain starting out. Good question. Do any of like the comics have any remotely close to the comedic tone of this film? truthfully i i mean there have been shades of it in in some runs but i i i would i would say that kind of the movie's version of it was pretty unique to it which is again something i like like i i alluded to this before but i wish more comic book movies would try to kind of do their own thing rather than to kind of explicitly model themselves after the material they're they're like based off of like i want more film original plots i want more versions of these characters that are invented to fit the medium rather than trying to kind of if you like this then see it again type type thing um i'm less interested in kind of seeing comic characters translated in the big screen than i am seeing what uh, talented filmmakers are willing to kind of do in making those characters their own yeah i can't wait for pablo lorraine's lois lane <laughs> uh wait I'd watch the don't, shit out don't, of that. Don't give me hope. <laughs> um, oh god, that would actually be great. <laughs> um, uh, ben, any other yeah, final? Like, th- the Superman comic, like from her perspective. 
I, I could, again, I don't want them to like do an existing <laughs> plot, but but uh, yeah, no, I I actually I'm the more I think about it, the more you could actually like I legitimately think Pablo Lorraine Lois Lane movie could be good. Just give him Anyways. give him like his equivalent of like you know giving like Todd Phillips Joker movie that's disconnected from everything else. Just give you know Pablo Lorraine his Lois Lane movie disconnected from everything else. Okay, yeah, so where, original where comic book movies aren't always good. Um, <laughs> where would we be when like Paul Schrader like takes the Todd Phillips approach and it's like, wait, 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 what if I do Taxi Driver as a superhero? Like, when does Paul Schrader gets that idea? <laughs> so one of my favorite like, how did this never happen stories in like film history? Alain Rene, the director of Last Year at Marion Bod, Hiroshima Mon Amour, like for me, one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, quintessential figure of the French left bank, um, the artsiest of the artsy. He almost directed Spider-Man. Really? Oh, yeah. no, 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 I've heard, I, actually on the Criterion, I've seen yep. the like Stan Lee meets uh, all in Resnas. Yeah. I uh, Alain Rene. But yeah, no, this, it was like, there were legitimate talks about it. Bad. It almost happened like years before comic book movies were a thing. Mm-hmm. Because again, Alain Rene was a huge comic fan because actually this is like a thing. Comics are huge in like France and Belgium. Oh, yeah, like kind of, Tintin. Yeah. But like they're, they're thought of as like much more of an art form than a lot of like people view them in the US, which yay, France, you're good for some things. Um, but man, I'm just making a lot of enemies with this podcast. But no, but so Alain Rene was legitimately a huge fan of Spider-Man and he met with Stan Lee and there were legitimate talks about it, but it just didn't end up happening. And that is kind of one of the great, oh my God, I wish I could have seen this movie stories and just the history of the film. I am not as familiar with, with, with the guy's previous work, but it's, it's interesting to hear that they almost went in that direction. Um, I'm just thinking of like the long takes, uh, you know, cause like, you know, like, uh, Alan Ray, Ray, I can't pronounce it. Once okay. you see it, because this whole time I've always pronounced it one way until he said it. I'm like, okay, that's the that's the correct way. Anyway, but um, I'm just he's like you know founder of like you know slow cinema like that's no, he's kinda, not. Oh, not founder. Okay, okay. No, I always thought like last. I always thought last year Mirabad was like the poster boy for that. No, also I, I, again, a lot of his movies are incredibly quick cuts. Oh yeah, here I know yeah. Hiroshima Monomoto. Well, also, yeah, I mean, have you, have you seen like Muriel? Uh, no, I haven't seen Muriel. Okay, I actually think you would like Muriel a lot, but okay. it's there is a much more frenetic editing style because the main character of that movie is basically riddled with PTSD, and it's kind of that kind of almost elevated uh, emotional state is kind of somewhat behind the edit, like the editing style of the movie. So I, I just I do have to push back on the like Alain Rene's like only slow cinema thing as much as I love slow cinema. I wouldn't even really associate him with that. But would you like associate last year at Marimbot with it? It's borderline. I mean, it, it is, but like when I think of prototypical slow cinema, it's not one of the things that would come to mind. I would, I would kind of go more towards, again, someone like Kelly Rick Hart, uh, Theo and Galopoulos in kind of like in terms of like foundational slow cinema directors or Tarkovsky is, is uh, in terms of directors from that era. Um, but I think, I don't know, I, I, this is a rant that, or this is a conversation that is totally has nothing to do with Venom, but I just think that last year at Marion Bad, it's a little, it's, it's not meditative in the way that I think a lot of slow cinema is. It's, 
exploratory, but it's 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 this the the long takes that are in there are not long takes in the way that I associate with a lot of slow cinema. And that may just be me nitpicking. But because and again, it, it is literally one of the movies that is tied for my favorite movie of all time. So want to be clear that I am not saying that is in as in any way negative about the movie because I love it deeply. By the way, I just like is classic Ben. Venom let there be carnage. It ends on last year in Marinbond. I have found a way to like every podcast appearance I've done, I have like found a way to bring in something really obscure and totally right. I mean, you guys just went on like a like a a five-minute rant that was like far beyond uh my film knowledge, but I kind of appreciate it going there because like for a minute I was like I kind of regretted that like I was doing just this as the 200th episode because in theory I wanted the 200th episode of the podcast to be more something like that podcast I've already mentioned where Ben and I talked about Bill and Ted face the music and Kelly Ricard's first cow at the same time. Like I like that the podcast contained both of those things in one. So uh, by going on this rant that Ben just went on, like we kind of accomplished that anyway. Uh, and by the way, speaking of Kelly Ricard, I'd like to, I wonder if we can like give, the, I, you know what I learned today, Ben, was that like that next movie that she's doing with Michelle Williams already yeah. in the can, already shot oh, yes. uh, post-production. It's literally the next thing on Michelle Williams' filmography after Venom, Let There Be Carnage. So really, I want to give these movies like credit for like, you know, allowing Michelle Williams the financial freedom to like go probably like, I don't know, like get paid scale and nothing else to like go make a movie with Kelly Riker because she probably got well paid to go do this. And she was delightful in this movie. And I, I and I, that was the first I, that was the one thought I had after I left this movie it was like if these movies had no redeeming qualities other than like affording uh, Michelle Williams the time to go make Kelly Riker movies they'd be worth it. But it's just like, it's just all gravy that like Venom let the recarnage like had plenty of other stuff going for it on top of that, you know? Oh, absolutely. No, <laughs> again, first off, so glad that that movie's done because every time Kelly Ricard is able to like finish a movie, it's a small miracle. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, again, it's like when I think of what, like when I think of Michelle Williams, I think of Wendy and Lucy and certain women and Meeks Cutoff and really just her work with Kelly Ricard, which is, dark and introspective and isolated and lonely and quiet and just it's like just, Venom let there be <laughs> but yeah, again it's just so much fun to see her just kind of go full opposite end of the spectrum just kind of comedy weirdness like just getting on this very bizarre wavelength of energy with Tom Hardy who's like almost going like I, I, I would say full Woody Allen but also full cage <laughs> yeah um and again that michelle williams is getting to match him on that level like it's just again i feel like it's the most fun she's been allowed to have in a long time and i'm so glad that like yeah she probably got paid a lot more for this but i also feel like it's just such a fun break to see her do something like this yeah you know i i can't speak to like honestly i don't remember like particularly thinking the movie was great but if you just want to see michelle williams like having fun I would recommend uh, the 2018 Amy Schumer vehicle, I Feel Pretty. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I'm probably never going to see that movie because no. But Michelle Williams gives like a just like incredible performance in that as like, you know, like the boss of the company that the Amy Schumer character like comes to work at. And it's just like perfect, like airhead, like I don't even see ditzy because she's playing like supposed to be like this powerful woman, but like also seems out of it and possibly like on like some kind of hallucinogen at the same time for the entire movie. And it's just like, it's just like, it's just like an incredible like shining ray of weirdness in like otherwise like mediocre comedy it's just cool that like she she can she can find like the weirdest like vehicles in which to like be the best thing (laughs) okay i just want good things for michelle williams that's 
And like at the end of the day, what probably draws these actors to these like like Venom in particular, uh, outside of money, is that like you know they're actors. Like in in having like with Tom Hardy having to be like Eddie Brock in Venom at the same time and doing the split personality thing, and Michelle Williams get to be goofy, and Woody Harrelson get to do. We should, should, should shout out Naomi Harris too, but I don't think we said oh, her name yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I do like, think that kind of of like the core four, she probably had like the least to do, but it, she was still a lot of fun. And again, Oscar nominee Naomi Harris playing this kind of big campy serial killer character. Yeah. And I think like that's probably a lot more fun for them than like having to like play like a drug addict for like, you know, a 90 minute movie or something, you know, like you. Well, getting... I, would, I would say that like as an actor, like if, if you want, if you like a lot of actors will kind of crave the challenge of playing those kind of drug addict roles, but kind of roles in serious movies that kind of force them to again, push themselves and, and, and kind of dig to some deeper human understanding of the character. But again, you do that for a while and it just, it really must be fun to do this as just a, a change of pace. And also I think it's an acting exercise in of itself. Yeah. Like what Tom Hardy has to do, like- It's really like, difficult. Yeah. And I would g- give him best actor right now if the Oscars were held tomorrow for <laughs> Venom Let There Be Carnage. Here's the thing. I wouldn't, but just to be contentious, I will, I will like die on that hill. <laughs> um, I mean, oh, out, of, out of what has been released to this point this year, you could maybe convince me. I, I actually, I, I went through this with, uh, with Josh, I, I think a couple of days ago, I like made out my nominees and I, I have like six who I would comfortably place above Hardy. So he's not quite making it on my ballot, but <laughs> also none of them ever would ever have a hope of being nominated. So who knows? Yeah, I don't. Nothing's coming to mind. I thought I thought Nick Cage well, was pretty Death great Patel. in Pig, but that's about it. By the um, way, it would be oh, yeah, funny at this good. year's. It'd be funny at this year's Oscars when they do the clip reel. You get Denzel's clip for a Tragedy of Macbeth, Benedict Cumberbatch for Powder of the Dog, and then Tom Hardy as <laughs> <laughs> Eddie Brock. Well, if no, if we're doing the Tom Hardy clip, we do uh, Venom covered in glow sticks at the Little Sims concert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which again, okay, I forgot about that scene. I really want to talk about that. I, I know we're like running really long. No, you're, like, you're good. Like I, I meant to ask you. Like I feel, I feel like there were a couple of funny scenes we were missing i'm glad you brought that oh up. my god i love that scene so much like first of all again it's, it is a moment where they acknowledge the inherent queerness of the movie in a way that like did not feel like they were making a joke out of the queerness um but also it's just so much fun uh again you put little sims in anything and i'm there for it because little sims is great shout out little sims go listen to all of her albums she's amazing but I don't know. It was just, it had this like, really, it was this fun and goofy energy, but it was like, it was pleasant. Like it didn't make like as, as funny as it was, it's like, Oh, it's like, they think he's talking about again, gay rights and like supporting immigrants, but he's really just talking about being an alien who wants to eat brains. Like there was the joke of that, but it also never made fun of the character or the characters who were like enthusiastically supporting what they think he's talking about. So again, I think it was a moment where the movie managed to have its cake and eat it too. And like have this progressive moment while also, again, being really funny and kind of making fun of the misunderstanding. Uh, It was just a lot of fun. And it just really let you get on board with Venom as a character, not just Eddie Brock as a character, but Venom. Yeah. Uh, Any other final thoughts from you, Josh? Um, 
No, not really. I, I think uh, that sums it up pretty well. Like, you know, uh, it's just, you know, all I can say is whoever came up with the idea of Venom at a rave, like, deserves all the big bucks. Oh, my God. It really, it really was like an incredible, incredible sight gag. Like, I mean, the I, me being the musical Luddite, the Little Sims thing didn't mean much to me. But like, I just, I thought, I thought that's where Robert Richardson might have earned his money. I don't know. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 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 Ben, before we get out of here, anything you want to plug? Anything you've been watching recently? Any uh, political uh, races you want to endorse? Uh, well, look, thankfully Newsom won his race, so. <laughs> So that yeah, everyone listened to Ben the last time he was on the rewind. That that probably made I, I actually the podcast didn't drop until after the election. <laughs> no, no, no. I I made sure it came out like the okay. day before. It came out like okay. the day before the votes had to well, go. Well, yeah. The, so there we wait, go. Wait, so uh, you gave Newsom the the bump, like yeah, yeah, yeah. The rewind, very specific. Ben's Ben's yep. heartfelt plea to California's common to, for Californians to exercise common sense on this podcast that primarily probably has a Florida listenership. Yes, that made the difference. <laughs> um, um, and now I can get back to critiquing Gavin Newsom. Um, <laughs> no, but so no, no political races to endorse. Yeah. Um, but I guess, so there's a movie that I have wanted to see for literally years that I always wanted to wait until I got to see on the big screen. And I finally got a chance to see it. And, you know, it is actually one of the like, the great American movies and every bit as amazing as every single person who loves it has said it is. Yeah, and we just Bar- talked about it. Venom, let there be <laughs> Well, it's not quite on that level, but you know, that is Barbara Barbara Loden's Wendy. Oh, um, you haven't seen Wendy. Okay, okay. I finally saw it. It is a heartbreaking, introspective, poetic, and just deeply engrossing movie about this very quiet, and minuscule American story. Um, it is also, it is one of the best uh, synthesis, it, it's some of the best synthesis of writing, direction, and acting that I've ever seen because Barbara Loden wrote, directed, and starred in it. And you don't see the gap between any aspect of what she did with the movie. Like every single choice she is making feels in service with all of the other choices she is making. Um, but it is, it's a movie where every single frame of the movie feels like a still life. Where if you just look at any single frame of that character, you understand every single thing about that character's inner life in a way that is heartbreaking and beautiful. Um, it's also kind of the anti-Bonnie and Clyde. Like it, it kind of, it's about this very kind of sad and lonely woman who ends up kind of the the Bonnie to like this very pathetic version of Clyde, like a, 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 a robber who is a lot less uh, glamorous than Warren Beatty. And it, it kind of uses that character as a way to kind of observe something very sad and revealing about America. Um, not America, like politically America in terms of the quotidian life of being an American. Um, it's just, it's an incredibly beautiful movie. It is the ghost in the machine behind like all of American independent film, but also a lot of just global art house cinema. Uh, it's very much the ancestor of a lot of Kelly Rickhart stuff. And it's also a really sad case of Barbara Lode not having ever been able to make another movie before she died. Uh, so it's her only movie. It is a fucking masterpiece. And yeah, uh, if if you have a chance to see it, 
I think it's on the Criterion channel. It's, yeah, I was going to say, for those of us who uh, watch movies in places other than theaters, you can see it on the Criterion channel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if, if, you're comfortable, if you're comfortable watching on your laptop, uh, just watch it because it's, it's a really beautiful, heartbreaking movie that allows you to be in the company of, of another person fully. So I actually, I actually didn't know anything about it. I actually didn't know anything about it until you just talked about it. So I'm glad you brought it to my attention. So it's pronounced Wendy, even though it's spelled W A N D A. Oh my God. Did I just, you said it's Wanda. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I looked it up as you were talking. I was like, I was like searching Wendy in Letterboxd. I was like, wow. Uh, Yeah, no, it's Wanda. I have Well, yeah. you got that Kelly Riker brain, so you're. <laughs> no, honestly, that's kind of what. Yeah, it was. no, it's probably it's probably Wendy an honest University. mistake. If, if the, you know, we, he just mentioned Wendy and Lucy a few minutes ago or whatever. Wow, so I just undercut everything about how you really should see this incredibly beautiful movie by getting the name wrong. Well, I mean, I, 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 I am I, so I, sorry, Barbara I, I, alone. I have let you down. I feel bad for like making for pointing out your mistake, but this makes it easier for people to find it because yeah, I was no, searching okay. Wendy, and then I had to search Barbara alone, and then I figured it out. It's been a long day. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That so yeah, so just that aside, yes, it is Wanda. It's Barbara Loden's Wanda. It's an incredibly beautiful movie. Go see it. Gotcha. Anything you want to plug, Josh? Well, I guess if we're recommending like the last great films that we've seen, I or it could be a TV show because I know you're always watching like a really good TV show that everyone else watched like two years ago. So it could be that too. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, have you heard of something called The Sopranos? No, I actually <laughs> I saw The Sopranos like in like tw- like college. So. Um, but no, like the film I want to recommend is also like capturing an American still life. And that's uh, Nightmare on Elm Street for the Dream Master. <laughs> Very good set pieces by the one and only Renny Harlan. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I got nothing to plug here. You know, um, um, he kind of made me want to rewatch uh, Wanda um, because it's been a while uh, since I saw it. Um, and I've been reading a little bit about Ilya Kazan and the actor studio and Barbara Loden's like from there. Um, so, uh, but yeah, you know, everything's going good here. So. Gotcha. I guess the one thing I'll say, I mean, uh, last week on the podcast, um, someone or was no, actually wasn't even on the podcast. I think yet no one talked about it on the podcast. Uh, I was texting a friend of the podcast, Maya about it, uh, about, uh, telling her she needed to watch or let them be, let there be carnage. And then she told me to watch squid game, which I mean, I guess everyone and their mom is, was started watching before me. Uh, but like, that's, it's, it, it's really good, but everyone else probably already found out about it before now. So uh, my, my recommendation would probably be to, would probably be to go see lamb. I mean, it's, it's about as uh, it's about exactly what you might think it's going to be. If you see the a 24 symbol and you see that trailer, but I thought it was actually really good and a really good movie. And the less you know about it, the better. Uh, Cause even if you do see that trailer, it's probably not even what you think it is but it's it's still the vibe that you think it's going to be and it's really interesting and the story goes to some very interesting places and it's fun just you know hang out in iceland for a bit uh before we get out of here uh anything else you guys want to plug any social media or anything like that both of you guys are pretty enigmatic with the social media compared to a lot of other guests but uh josh uh, it's brown film collective right yeah yeah, yeah. ben you want to direct to your letterbox or anything like that um yeah i mean i'm ben lubin on letterbox uh i i think i've tried to start updating it a little bit more than i usually do well, that's how you did for Venom, which I was very happy yeah. about because I, w- I would never have thought to ask you to come talk about this movie if you hadn't. So, uh, yeah, he had to let the carnage out. Yeah, there you go. Uh, 
as usual, I'm uh, Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is rewindmoviepod at gmail.com. Uh, coming up next, we'll probably have our podcast on No Time to Die. And not long after that, uh, Josh may be coming back to talk about The Last Duel with uh, Lissa and I. Lissa hasn't been around in a while, and I've done one with Are her. Are we going to actually duel on the podcast, me versus Lissa with a sword? Uh, I mean, like, gonna be the Ben Affleck, the referee watching it. I mean, I'm betting on Lissa, yeah, yeah. I would bet on her too. I would bet on her too. I'm not gonna lie, yeah. And uh, and and then not long after that, I think uh, Ben will be coming back for a couple movies before the end of the month because I think uh, he's gonna talk about Bergman Island with me as I complete my uh, my Ingmar Bergman education that I've been going through. And then uh, I think Ben is also going to join uh, Fred and I to talk about Dune. So uh, just like a, a, a crazy uh, October. Uh, um, and I, we might squeeze in Halloween kills there, but uh, my friends, Adam and Kayla might be a little delayed in that uh, for some, uh, uh, as they take care and of you got the French dispatch. Also. Yeah. My friend, and, and I think, night. yeah. And uh, my friend, Nick, who is, uh, you know, comes talk, joins for a lot of the DC movies. He might talk about that, but he hasn't returned to theaters yet. Yet. So he's going to have to do that if he wants to talk about the French Dispatch, but uh, he'd already requested it. So, yeah, lots of stuff coming up in October. Uh, thanks again to Ben and Josh for joining. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.